0: At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger. Fresh for everyone.
1: When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at kroger.com slash boost.
2: And welcome to the X-Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide, as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction, and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the X-Zone Broadcast Network and our growing family of broadcast affiliates, right around the world, including iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send me an email, Exon at TV.com on all social media sites, exone Radio TV. And if you'd like to find out about the programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. Xone Nation, my first guest tonight is Michael Fury. Uh, Michael is the author of Spellcasting for Beginners. Supermarket Magic, Spellcasting Beyond the Basics, and the New superma- uh, Supermarket Sabbats—all published by our good friends at Llewellyn Worldwide. His hobbies include cooking, reading, and researching magic, witchcraft, and paganism, a practicing which for more than twenty years he is the priest of the goddess. Now, I hope I pronounce this right. Kyle, Kyle, yeah, is that how you pronounce it, Michael?
1: Uh, Kyle, yeah.
2: All right, and he can be found online at www. M I C H A E L F U R I E dot com. That's Michael Fury com. And Michael, welcome to the X Zone.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Michael, what was it that drew you to witchcraft?
1: I, honestly, it, it feels like it's been a lifelong pursuit. I remember being a, a little, little kid, and anytime I would see anything magical on television or uh-huh. in a movie, it felt like such a draw to me. And I was never officially anything else. I wasn't raised in any specific religion, so I just kind of grew towards it. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember being uh, nine years old in a library, checking out books on magic and, uh, like, the witch trials and mythology and things like that. So, it's just been a lifelong thing with me.
2: Why do you think in the 21st century that witchcraft and paganism is so popular?
1: I think that there's been a lot of oppression honestly mm-hmm. and it, it seems like it's it's when people are discovering it that there's such a sense of freedom that goes along with it there's not a, a bunch of rules or commandments that you can't do this you can't do that it's just it's more fun <laughs> and it's, it's less um, harsh I think for the most part
2: all right now as as the priest for the goddess uh Kyle, yeah. What are your responsibilities, and how did you choose this deity, or did this deity choose you?
1: Uh, a little bit of both. I had a very um, strong meditative experience a long time ago in the '90s, where it felt like she came to me, and I've always, uh, I've always been very aligned with because I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of her at the time, mm-hmm. but always very aligned with her where I, I much prefer the winter half of the year to the summer half, because where I live, it gets very hot. <laughs> I always hated heat, didn't much care for summertime, loved the winter, and she's basically the goddess of the winter half of the year, so that spoke to me, and she just kind of, it was such a fit that it, it didn't seem like I couldn't be devoted to her. You know, it was, it's, like, it's one of those lightning bolts kind of things where... How many, He's the one for me.
2: <laughs> all right, how many different goddess or deities are there in witchcraft?
1: Um, it really depends. A lot of time, it depends on the region. Most, I wouldn't even say most, actually, many modern practitioners right. pick two from a, a pantheon that, that speaks to them. So there'll be a god and a goddess. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there'll be a god and a goddess, and somebody that oversees that that's sort of kind of my style is mostly just devoted to her but it, it really varies by region because like old style witchcraft was the paganism in mm-hmm. europe mostly and they had regional gods or, or uh, national gods
2: All right, Michael, stand by. We've got to take our first commercial break. Exxon Nation, Michael Fury is our guest. www.michaelfury.com and Fury is spelled F-U-R-I-E. That's michaelfury.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Exxon Broadcast Network and our worldwide affiliates, including iHeartRadio. www.michaelfury.com is our guest this hour. Website Michael Fury, and he is a a priest for the goddess or of the goddess Kyle Yuck. And um, when you discovered that that you were a witch, how did you feel, and how was how were your friends and families? Uh, how are they taken by the news that you are going to be? becoming a priest uh, for a, for a for a witchcraft deity
1: uh, I think I was extraordinarily lucky in that my family wasn't really bothered by it my mother had had a has a very strong interest in astrology and I think that helped and she studied a little bit of witchcraft in the 70s so she kind of she, it didn't you know come out of nowhere for her so I, I think I kind of <laughs> had a bit of good luck with that so as far as um being a priest Mm -hmm. kalyak she's usually considered pretty dark so that anytime uh, people hear like oh she's a dark goddess and she means scary and everything people kind of worry about that sometimes but it's not that she's i would say she's stern certainly (laughs) no nonsense approach so Mm -hmm. but I always, I kind of, I think the most reassurance I've ever had to do is she's not an evil being, kind of a a thing. But there hasn't been a lot of arguments or or family strife because of it.
2: Tell us about your book, Supermarket Sabbaths.
1: Okay. I wrote it um, sort of as an unofficial sequel to Supermarket Magic because I wanted it to be a full guide for each of the holidays Mm -hmm. with um, items, products oils and things to make where you could only, you could just get all the ingredients for them at a supermarket or, you know, any one of the large chain stores, because I haven't really seen that out there. It's rare. I wanted to, because a lot of times for an an oil or an incense recipe or whatever, there'll be these really rare or expensive ingredients, and that seems to be a stumbling block a lot in, in magic. And I kind of wanted to overcome that for myself and for anybody that wanted to have the book. Through. Well, let me just, let
2: me just ask you this before we go further: um, the fact that you're using different or less expensive ingredients in the spell does that affect the the power or the potency of the spell?
1: No, I, I when I first started researching for the supermarket magic book, I was really surprised. How many ingredients that we can get at the supermarket now uh-huh. used to be rare and expensive? You know, uh, hundreds of years ago, it's like cinnamon doesn't really exist. You know, in my local area to grow, but we get it so e- we get these things so easily now. But it used to be such a rare, exotic thing. Even salt was so prized back in the old days. So I I think it's more um, a perspective on it that it seems easier now, but it's in, the, in the old days, maybe sandalwood was a lot easier to obtain than cinnamon or something, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that it's really, it doesn't diminish the power because all the ingredients that are in the book are still aligned with the, the forces that are trying to be drawn through. So it's still the same type of magic, even if it's a different ingredient, because it's not really substitution. It's just a different way of approaching it. How does magic work? I think of it as um, and a blending of intention and energy that focuses towards a specific goal. And you, you release that and then it's kind of mirrored back to you in the world. And a lot of people have different definitions of magic, but for me it's all about transformation through intention and energy. Is so there... it's sort of, it's, it's almost like writing an email. You have the intention to do it, you type it up, and mm-hmm. you send it, and then hopefully it gets the response you want.
2: Is there good and bad-y, uh bad uh, magic?
1: There can be. I my view of it is energetic. So I think of it all like the 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 power that's used is neutral in in my viewpoint, and the the good and the bad of it mm-hmm. is uh, the intention of the person that's using it and how they are sort of aiming it. If their intention is cruel then it, it'll be cruel but it, if like i don't i i always try to do things without harm Is just my natural inclination so <laughs> in in my books there's no bad magic but <laughs> some people will at least try to be bad sometimes so tell
2: us That's about a few twice, of the tell us about a few of the spells that are in your books sir.
1: okay um each each different section it goes through the the year and it's by season. So each of the different spells and rituals in it go according to that season. So uh, for now in October, it's focused on Samhain Halloween era. So there's things for releasing habits or things from your life that you don't want. There's one, there's a spell to cleanse your house and to try to cast out any negative feelings or energies. And there's celebratory ones to try and contact your ancestors. I have a very good ancestor oil in here, and there are there's uh, food recipes, too, but it's mostly oils, incenses, potions, that kind of thing. There's a spell in here, Key of Change, that uh, helps you charge, like energetically charge a, a key, and then use that to help manifest the change that you want, if you want a change of employment or a new place to live or something to try and sort of unlock those magical doors, you
2: know. So if somebody, Uh, if somebody performs a, a, a a ritual or a, a spell, how much of that depends on the person's own will to make whatever the change that they're seeking to happen? And how, what is the percentage of the actual magical factor? Um,
1: I'm not sure that it can even be separated because the will power is such a part of magic. I, I always, I think in most of my books, I've stressed that um, it's the way I look at it is kind of threefold where you have thinking,
3: mm-hmm.
1: feeling and willing. Yeah. And in order to do it successfully, you have to have a clear concept of what you want to happen, like the end result of the magic and then infuse into that, the feeling the most important part for me is the feeling of how you want to feel when that goal is reached and then using your willpower to accomplish it. Then you sort of chart, either charge a candle or uh, a key or whatever the cell calls for. You sort of energetically infuse that and then you release it. So it all runs together. If you have the thought and the feeling and the willpower forward in that, in my view and how i've been trained that's what activates the magic in the first place you have to have that factor combination
2: who trained you
1: a little bit by my mother Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and i had i've had some friends that are also practicing that i've had help with and then um books so friends family and books all kind of came together for me
2: (laughs) all right but Earlier in this uh, in this interview, you said your mother was an astrologer. So was she also a witch?
1: Um, I would call her witch adjacent because she did study it and she helped. She's helped guide me on not necessarily what to do, but how to do it properly. So she's sort of non-practicing, I guess. <laughs> but I'm not sure that she ever officially was like, we haven't had too many conversations about it, but she knows all the basics. So she helped me sort of find my way.
2: So would you say that anyone could become
1: a witch? I think that there is potential for anyone to become one. It really has to, I, in my own view, I Mm -hmm. feel like it has to really speak to someone's heart in order for them to do it. But it's, it is potentially possible for anyone to study magic and practice it,
0: regardless
1: what? of their um, background.
2: All right. So let me ask you, what would what would what would lead a person to witchcraft, that is considered by many people a, a dark science or a dark part of the occult, compared to an organized, uh, an organized, recognized? religious philosophy
1: most of the the people that I've mm-hmm. come in contact with that have discussed that with me usually it's a feeling of if they were brought up in a certain religion of feeling like they don't quite belong there mm-hmm. and then they sort of go and search out what speaks to them and if the ones that turn to witchcraft it just seems to click into place and it's like they came home you know that's that's Like, I can't really speak on any kind of conversion process because I sort of grew up into it. I I didn't have to change from something else like a lot of people do, but that's usually kind of the consensus of opinion that I've gathered is that they felt out of place. And with, with this, they feel like this is who they were meant to become.
2: What are the demographics when it comes to modern-day witchcraft? Are there more men, more ladies? Um, what would the average age range of a of a witch, witch be? Um, what are their professions? Uh, what do they do in life? Are they college graduates, or are they just high school graduates? Or you know, there there has to be there has to be some some common thread.
1: Yeah, and initially, I think, and even still today, the majority of practicing witches are usually women, Mm -hmm. but there is an increasing amount of men that are becoming witches. There are a lot of... It used to be so secretive that it was really hard to have demographics and things, but now there's been a lot of polls taken, and the, the, the age range... The last time I saw any statistics on it, I think it was about like the 25 to 40 range is the most prominent, I believe. Right. And an uh, increasing number of groups at colleges, there'd be uh, like a club or something for mm-hmm. paganism or for witchcraft or whatever. It's not organized by the college. Right. But right. There's been a lot more um, practice and it, it is, it has grown so much. The Paganism is becoming such a, Rapidly growing method of, of spirituality in the United States that it's it's drawing from all demographics from all financial backgrounds and there's been a lot of there's blue collar white collar it kind of runs the whole spectrum now. So,
2: is it, is witchcraft and paganism found in a certain part of the world, or is it worldwide?
1: It's pretty worldwide. It depends. Well, because before the main, you know, the big three religions took over.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It was the, what's been labeled paganism is really the indigenous religious practices of different countries and that before they were converted to Christianity or Islam or Judaism or anything. So it, it really is the, the initial practice of what's considered paganism is worldwide and now it's sort of being reformed and people are discovering their own roots or roots from other cultures that speak to them mm-hmm. and just running with it and i think i think it's amazing.
2: Michael stand by. you and i have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour exonation Michael Fury is our special fury is our special guest his website is michaelfury.com that's www.michaelfury.com that's michael fury Dot com And Michael and I will return on the other side of the news as we continue here in the X Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget you can read the online version of the X Chronicles newspaper with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. And we're also on Simul TV and their website, simultv.com. Welcome back, everyone. Michael Fury is our special guest, and Michael is the author of Spellcasting for Beginners, Supermarket Magic, Spellcasting, Beyond the Basics, and the new Supermarket Sabbaths, all published by Llewellyn Worldwide. His hobbies include cooking, reading, and researching magic, wicker, witchcraft, and paganism. Uh, uh, Michael is the, um, the priest of the goddess uh, Kylyak and he can be found at michaelfury.com and where do these names come from goddess kylliac Ka- where do the names um, come from why are they so difficult
1: <laughs> i know <laughs> um, a lot of times from other languages cuz she comes from her her worship originated mm-hmm. mostly in ireland and scotland so is she so, be
2: a celtic god goddess yeah okay
1: yeah but like old 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 <laughs> gods Gotcha. So she, she goes way back. So, yeah. But it's one thing with um pronunciation. A mm-hmm. lot of times people get upset about that, but I've never I've never really gotten upset because there's different ways to pronounce the same word depending on where the person's from. Sure. So, all so good. I don't think she minds. Oh, that's
2: good. That's good. That's one thing I wouldn't want is a irate Celtic goddess after me. Yeah. <laughs> Michael would you say that the uh, the internet certainly has a has had a major play in the insurgence in the interest in witchcraft and paganism?
1: Definitely, definitely. Um, honestly, I think that I think when the internet first started, mm-hmm. cause I remember being a teenager when the internet became a thing and going onto websites about witchcraft and that helped so much. There was such a greater sense of connection than there could have been before that. Because now, especially with, like, Facebook and all the social media stuff, Mm -hmm. people can meet other people that share similarities instantly instead of desperately searching for like-minded people. (laughs) Before, it was, like, newsletters and trying to go to an occult shop and seeing if you could meet other people or if there were any gatherings. And now you can find one in probably 20 minutes, you know, (laughs) at least online.
2: Um. Are there, is there a central organization for all the different uh, um, priests and goddesses and, and covens that are, that are scattered around the country? Or are each one of these covens separate?
1: Um, there's, yeah, there's no overreaching central organization. It's very individual. A lot of times people can be grouped into different traditions,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, sort of like a different denomination. And those, the groups under that heading can have coven structure that are all, that may know each other and have a shared background. That would be the closest thing, but there's no, like, grand authority. <laughs> like, sometimes on television or movies, there'll be, like, a, a grand high witch or yeah. the, the queen of them or whatever. That that doesn't really occur. We're very autonomous. I think that there's such a streak of individuality in witchcraft and antagonism in general, There's, I think that would be rejected. Anybody trying to become a super leader and, a, and ruling over us all, I don't think that would work.
2: <laughs> so, so there's no Vatican for the witches?
1: No, no. Okay.
2: And uh, I guess there's no Grand Puba as well. Um, I'm from, What are some of the most frequently asked questions you get asked when you're out in public, you know, promoting your books and, and talking about witchcraft?
1: Uh, I get asked a lot about individual kind of spells. Mm -hmm. Like, what would be the best way to fill in blank? You know, usually usually a lot of love spells, money spells, those are the top two that people want to know. Yeah. Um, And then there's a lot of comical questions, like, can you turn somebody into a frog, that kind of thing. Mostly, I remember I did a workshop on love magic and ended up talking to somebody for probably about 20 minutes about just magic in general and how the best place to practice and where it comes from. And it was, I've had some amazing conversations with people that start off with one simple question and then it branches out because they really want to know more mm-hmm. about witchcraft in general. And people approach it from such different directions. It's fascinating to me. You
2: know, I... A lot I, of
1: times... Go on. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, son. A lot of times people come to it in various ways if there's a a tv show Mm -hmm. or a movie that comes out that portrays witchcraft and there's a a huge like a groundswell of interest and i always try like it's my goal if if people only read one of my books i want to have as much information in there to help guide them in the right direction as possible or if they just flip through it in the bookstore you know i want something positive for them
2: yeah, I you know, I'm no witch and and I don't know any spells, but I've found the best way to uh, my own personal love spell is going to the florist and buying my wife a dozen roses. That seems to work very well for me.
1: That's very good. Yeah. Well, roses are supposed to be magically aligned for love. So I think that works.
2: Yeah, it must work because we have six kids, so oh, one wow. up one up one up for the roses. <laughs> How does a witch how does being a witch, I should say, help you in your everyday life?
1: For me, there's much more feeling of being grounded mm-hmm. and um, having a clear spiritual focus. I don't, I don't feel lost because be, really, before I officially became a witch, I was a teenager, really. But I, I felt directionless, and I have a very clear sense of direction now, and. I, I honestly, I think I use at least a little bit of magic in everyday life. Now I've um, there's still there's a spell I wrote. I think it was from 2014, of uh, one of those Welland Spell a Day books mm-hmm. for protection during travel that I use every day. Every time I get in the car, <laughs> so um, and then things like blessing food when I'm making it, mm-hmm. and any you know, it's just sort of. It's such a part of me that I couldn't imagine not being a witch. All right, so let me
2: ask you this. When you do a spell... Yeah. And you are... You are creating the spell and you are sending the spell out to the universe, so to speak. How does that spell affect only your life and not everyone else's life within the universe since we're all connected? How does the spell... Beat the law of physics.
1: The very good point is that it doesn't entirely do that. We are all connected, so in in effect, it kind of does Mm -hmm. affect everybody's life. But people usually there's ways how a spell is worded, the intention that you have to these little checkpoints where, if you do a spell properly, then the intention is. To only for benefit and without harming anybody if you put in there if it's like a a cause where if it's for the good of all people right so that it won't affect somebody negatively. that's how you prevent things like um <laughs> i remember reading a lot of times people are worried or warned against doing money sales because they don't want money to come as a result of somebody getting in an accident or like an insurance settlement or an inheritance Mm -hmm. But if you do a spell with the intention that it will be for the highest good or for the good of all or with harm to none, then it, it puts it in the conditions that you're setting up for the magic that it won't be harmful.
2: All right, here's another question for you. Let's say Dick is in love with Jane, but Jane really wants nothing to do with Dick. Dick decides to use a love spell. To make Jane fall in love with him. Isn't that a little wrong?
1: Yes, that's a terrible idea, and I would warn him against it because it, it's the best kind of love spell to do is one for not on a person.
2: If not on just, a person.
1: Yeah, if you just, if you're basically asking for love in your life that is the best person for you, the most correct. The, the ideal love that you can have and then that person eventually you kind of things line up and then you meet them mm-hmm. but if you do a sell on a specific person especially if they don't really get along right. with you that sets up very bad conditions for the relationship because if you get them
3: mm-hmm.
1: then it's basically through coercion it's subconscious but people the way it affects people is it gets in it's the kind of gets into their subconscious mind and helps like nag them into falling for the person. And that's going to be rejected. Even if the, even if someone doesn't know that they have that kind of manipulative love magic cast on them, eventually it's going to sour the relationship. And along the way, a lot of times a spellcaster doing that doesn't really know they're the targeted person enough to know that they're not really compatible. So if, if, if you win the, the heart of the person, you get all their troubles and problems and quirks and headaches and it, just, it, it sets up a doomed romance, basically. It's never a good idea to use manipulative magic on somebody, especially not for quote-unquote love because love is usually geared towards you caring about the person mm-hmm. more than yourself. But the... the doing a love spell on somebody is kind of the definition of selfish because it's discounting that other person's feelings and just wanting to claim them and own them, really. And that, that never ends well. So
2: then what, what reason would anyone have seeking a love spell then?
1: To have to find the right partner. But, it's the but, best reason to find the right partner for them not to not because like oh i work with so and so and i want them to love me that's that's never a good reason but if they want to have love they want to be in love they want to find somebody Mm -hmm. that's a very good reason because that sort of (laughs) it i would say it cuts down on the wait time you know (laughs) it helps it's like sending a signal out that only people that are compatible to you hear but
2: yeah. ha- but how does the spell know that? How does it work? Like you know you 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 you're creating a spell and and yeah. you've got this person who is uh, looking for Mr or Mrs Wright. They do the spell and bang. How does the spell find Mr or Mrs Wright? Miss or Mr Wright. You know, and, and isn't that still a little unfair? Isn't that like mind control?
1: Not n- not if it's done properly it's not mind control so much as it just lines up the situation so that the people meet because there's no, this person must love me in it. it is I want to find a compatible person. What's the so difference between kind of doing a
2: spell and going into the local bar?
1: It's good to do a spell and then go to the bar. Ups <laughs> the chances. But um, yeah, you can, You it's easy. Well, actually it's not easy. It's difficult mm-hmm. for people to find love in general. So it's, Using magic is kind of a bit of an edge, you know, a bit of a a, a placebo, weapon,
2: placebo a effect, better. maybe a placebo huh? effect.
1: It's some. I think some spells have been designed to work that way, mm-hmm. but most the magic that I practice is always energetic and intentional. Okay. So I've never. I don't think I've ever had anything work placebo effect. myself.
2: All right, stand by. We've got to take our final break for the Sour Exxon Nation. Michael Fury is our guest, www.michaelfury.com. And I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, you can always send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Guilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213 401 Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Michael Fury is my guest this hour to ExoNation, www.michaelfury.com. First of all, Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight, and uh, we're coming up to that, that part of the year that everyone associates with witches, and I'm talking about Halloween, and I was wondering if you could tell us your, you, the way that you, as a practicing witch and a priest, look at Halloween and how it is celebrated by non-members of the, uh, of the um, pagan world.
1: Um, I adore Halloween it's my favorite holiday <laughs> mm-hmm. mostly for selling the actual the, the pagan aspect of it but also i i don't I, I've never minded the commercial commercialization of it of the the regular people part of it I love going to the store and seeing all the candy and the decorations <laughs> and everything it's never bothered me it does yeah. bother some people though some pagans. Which is it upsets them a lot. But uh for me it's fun. Well that's good. I I, (laughs) yeah I um Kalyak is is viewed as coming into power on the day, on the holiday. So it for me it's it's a high time. It's great, it's a big party. So it's it's um in my practice it's about honoring her and recognizing that this begins her half of the year, which ends on May Day, which is the opposite holiday to Halloween. And um, it's in in kind of old-style thought. The year was split into two, uh, a light summer half and a dark winter half. Mm-hmm. And so Halloween starts the dark half of the year.
2: In your opinion, what is the most important aspect of witchcraft that you would like the listeners of the XO Nation to know about?
1: I think that it is very important The one of the goals of witchcraft is to it, it brings such a strong sense of identity and purpose and a view of not only the world mm-hmm. but of the universe really into play that it's very vital to not to go into anything like I would have advice never do anything based on blind faith alone, like try something and kind of see the results of that and move slowly and methodically through. So I think the most important part of it is, its, its individuality and it's techniques and, and ideas for harnessing your own power which is a, another thing why it, it should never be about manipulative magic because the most important part of it is, is us finding ourselves and us being strong with ourselves, so we don't really need to manipulate other people or harm anyone if we can fulfill our own goals our own way.
2: What, what advice do you have for people? who may be deciding right now after listening to you for the last 40-some-odd minutes that they would like to become a witch, that they have had the calling, and up until they heard your voice, they did not know where that calling was leading. Now they believe in their heart of hearts that witchcraft is where they should be focusing, where they should be putting their intent. What should they do first?
1: I would say read a lot. And not that's not just because I'm a writer. <laughs> read, that, read all the new books and everything, but read classic works. Look at the history of it. There are books that have been around for decades. Doreen Valiente, she's one of the classic writers. Mm-hmm. Gerald Gardner, Charles Leland has written. There's so many important books out there that show the history of it and show how it's changed. If you look at the, the first books out there about witchcraft in the modern times, Versus books out now. There's such a diverse set of opinions and practices out there that I would say don't just read one thing or look up one thing on the internet and and stick with that forever. Look around and find what fits you and what really speaks to you as a practice, and and go forward in that. And like and also like harmful magic is possible, but discouraged highly discouraged by me (laughs) so it's better to to i would say magically speaking my best advice is usually but not always it's better to cast a spell to change a situation rather than to try to change a person it's less manipulative
2: would you say that anyone considering becoming a witch for negative reasons would be better off not becoming a witch
1: Mm. that depends sometimes yes if people just want to harm people or whatever that they really shouldn't pursue that but other times if somebody has that image that sort of stereotypical view of witches as being evil and trying to harm people and and they want to be one so then they start researching it Mm -hmm. then they can learn the truth and it still might speak to them they Because people come to things from such different perspectives that I think it's still better if they have the interest to try and study genuine witchcraft. So at least they're armed kind of with the truth and they understand the reality of it versus Hollywood fantasy.
2: Over the years of yourself being a priest, what has been the most spectacular thing that has happened with you or those that you know because of witchcraft?
1: Hm. That's a good question. Um, I've had a lot of strange things happen. I had, I lived in a house that was haunted mm-hmm. and I did an exorcism. This was many years ago, like a, a banishing of, of the spirit mm-hmm. and the, <laughs> the, the regular home phone, the corded old fashioned home phone blew up <laughs> right when I got to the part where, you know, like be gone kind of a thing. It was the weirdest thing. So, um, and I had one of my very first experiences, this is in the early 90s, of doing any sort of magic is I tried to energetically feel the house where I lived for protection, you know, tr- putting energy into the walls to try to protect it. But I didn't know how to draw in energy at the time. I was using my own energy and I exhausted myself. And I had never been so tired. That's one of the things that taught me that energy... And magic are very real. Is I I went around my house for like twenty minutes, but I slept for I passed out on the couch and slept for twelve hours after, because I completely depleted my own energy. My goodness, it was was frightening at the time, but then I I realized what went wrong and how to fix it, and now like I can do it again, no problem.
2: (laughs) Is it usual for a witch to be involved with exorcisms?
1: Um, not exorcisms in like the exorcist kind of way, but it's it's just basically a term for trying to rid something. So uh, there are witches that hunt ghosts and try to banish ghosts, and it's not it's not an everyday occurrence, of course. But a lot of times, banishing can be an everyday occurrence in that you're know, burning some sage in your house if somebody. If you feel a weird vibe or feel unhappy or if somebody annoying comes over and then they leave mm-hmm. and you want to sort of clear the air of any kind of frustration, is that still vanishing? But it's a much more simple method of it. It's not always about like Ghostbusters kind of a thing.
2: <laughs> gotcha.
1: But a lot of times the terms overlap because it's the same basic um,
2: situation and goal. So what new projects are you working on?
1: I have a, um, a shop, it goes through my website, I call it the Furious Witch Shop, and I have a line of different magical jewelry, and I've been adding more to that, and then a little figurines called, I just call them Sabbath Cats, because I made one for each of the holidays, mm-hmm. and one for the moon, that just, I just launched that about a week ago, and I am trying to put together a workshop about making magical charms and objects and spell bottles and things that uh, I might turn that into my next book if it goes well. Because <laughs> I want to, I want to teach a workshop because I had, I've been so involved in uh, all the Halloween preparations mm-hmm. that I realized I'm learning all these new techniques, like how to make uh, magical-looking books and everything, and it's just been really fun. So. I want to teach other people what I learned.
2: <laughs> Michael, we've got about a minute left. What are your final thoughts for the Nation tonight about witchcraft?
1: I would say that witchcraft is really about individuality, it's about spirituality, and it's about magic both for yourself mm-hmm. and to improve the lives of, any, if, of other people if they want your health. And that it's a, it's a steady process and, you know, read and research and, and practice as much as you want. <laughs> it's very, it's a freeing and, and wonderful journey.
2: Michael, let our listeners know where they can get copies of your books.
1: Um, they are at uh, bookstores everywhere, Barnes & Noble, on Llewellyn.com or through my own website, MichaelFury.com.
2: Michael, thank you so much for joining us tonight and I hope that you have a happy Halloween.
1: Thank you. You
2: as well. Take care, Michael. Bye-bye now. Exonation. Bye. Michael Fury was my guest for this hour. www.michaelfury.com That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-F-U-R-I-E dot com. Now, I'll be back on the other side of the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past... As we continue here in the X-Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget to find out all about the great programming we have available for you on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. And now, check out watching the X-Zone TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, on the all-new X-Zone TV channel, from our good friends at Simultv, www.Simultv.com.